that's just not me. <laughs> and so, but it, he tried his best. I wasn't angry at him at all. And so on the thread, I said, well, actually, I like to think of myself as a spiritual lawyer. And it was the first time it poured out of me. And I thought, hang on a minute, I really like this. So what is a spiritual lawyer? I've been thinking about it ever since. Hello and welcome to Brilliant Misfits, talks with women who are the renegades, the creatives, the entrepreneurs, the artists who didn't fit in and how they've turned it around by courageously following the beat of their own heart. We'll be discussing all things creative, mindful and artful to inspire you to do it your way and be brilliant with your host, Asia Kennedy. Welcome, everyone, to Brilliant Misfits, another episode. I'm your host, Aisha Kennedy, and I want to thank you all for listening. I'm really thrilled that you tune in, and I hope that you get inspired by these talks with women who have found that being a misfit is actually a gift and that it's pointed them in the direction of how to be true to themselves and what that means. And I think that's really inspirational. I have been talking with women in all walks of life and I hope that you will enjoy every single one of them because they're all very special, unique and have something brilliant to inspire encourage, and encourage you to do it your way. And just a reminder, if you want to join the Facebook group, Brilliant Misfits, You can do that. It's a private group of women, and we gather there to support and inspire each other. So today I have a really special guest, and she's special because she's done a lot of different things in her life. And as most of the people that have been on the show, there's a point where she's going along and having this career, and something isn't quite right because there's this whole other side that hadn't been really paid attention to or nurtured. So my guest today is Ange de la Mer, and she is a spiritual lawyer. And rather than me try to describe that, I'm going to just let her describe what that is. What is a spiritual lawyer? So welcome, Ange. I'm delighted to have you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's an honor. It's a real honor. Now, I know so, that in your past, you you were um, a corporate lawyer. So let's start there. And then how did that transform into being a spiritual lawyer? Um, okay, so was um, as a child, I, I, was, I grew up in a um, rational family. I'm going to put it that way. I like to say muggle family because I'm such a big fan of Harry Potter. Um, but my, my dad, bless him, was a doctor and my mum was a nurse and everything was about the material. Although my dad was um, quite religious, so there was um, another side to it. But um, I, I'm not religious and it didn't fit me, but that's another subject. So um, I um, so I grew up in this family and um, they wanted me to do really well and I wanted to please them. So I did, um, well, I went to school, obviously, and then... I went to university doing a course that I hadn't really, my heart wasn't into it, but I didn't know what what else to do. I had so many different ideas and none of them seemed to to suit my parents. And I know that sounds like I'm a wimp and I just want to please my parents. But at that point, I didn't have the, how do you say, the 
the courage maybe or um, to stand up and say, I'm going to do my thing. You know, when you're long, young, it's quite difficult to do that. So it sounded like a good idea, this this corporate lawyer thing. Um, the, the languages was the thing that excited me the most because I did um, a translation school as well as um, a law school. Um, and I'm French, so I, you know, I perfected my English, and um, I also spoke fluent Spanish. And the idea of traveling was very exciting. So I end up this in this career. I started in a law firm, like an, an international law firm, very prestigious, um, working with clients all over the world. Then I moved on to another job um, with a big company where basically I was on a plane um, every other week. Um, intellectually very satisfying, but I'd forgotten my dream, um, um, which was to be an artist. Um, and also I wanted to work with children and all that was put in a box. Um, and I just got on with my career and then I had children and it was like a wake up call. Um, suddenly I looked at my life and everything seemed so perfect. Um, I was married to a man I met at university. I had children. I had the best career you could think of. And yet deep inside, I wasn't truly happy. There's something bubbling underneath that um, wasn't satisfied. And it was actually my creativity. It was a bit more than that, but definitely my creativity. So um, my, my sister was an artist and she'd gone really the opposite direction do you know how sisters do one complies the other one goes completely the other way mm. uh, we loved each other dearly but I thought she was off her trolley to be honest <laughs> she, she kept on telling me how with her friends they would get together and they would try to express the color orange and then she'd just shake her arms around and do all these things that to me looked like they'd lost it that really lost it um but <laughs> I, don't, it's really, I'm, I don't mean I know it sounds rude but it's really where I was and um, she, she was. We all talked about her affectionately, you know. She's the one who went to the other side almost. Mm. But then I went to visit her. She lived in America um, because she married an American man, a New Yorker. And um, so I went to visit her, and she knew because she knew I had this dream of um, doing mosaics. I had it for a long time, but I'd never actually done anything about it. So. Um, being the big sister that she was, she actually went to a shop, bought me the whole kit and said, okay, you're on holiday now. You can forget about this big corporate lawyer thing and let's have fun. So we did. And I made um, just a flower pot, okay? And she was by me and we're just chatting and catching up because we hadn't seen each other in ages. I did miss her when she moved to America. And when I finished my flower pot, this is just the funniest part. Um, I looked at it and I was like, okay, well, that was fun. Come on, let's go and have lunch. She picked it up. She looked at it and she said, oh, my God, Ange, you have talent. And I looked at her and I thought she lost it again because it was just bits of colored glass and a bit of shell. And But she went on and she looked at hers. She looked at mine. She compared them, which embarrassed me. And she said, look, you've got movement in it. You've got color. I love the way you use color. Um, um, and, and this is just so vibrant. Look at mine and look at yours. Yours is just amazing. And um, I, I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> I thanked her because that was really sweet. And um, But it, it was like she planted a seed in me. 
So I went back to my big corporate life, um, and that seeds started. And so the next summer, when I visited my parents in their house in southern France, I actually went to the local dump to get some re, um, reclaimed tiles. And I thought, well, I'm going to give it a try. Why not? And um, so, well, my parents were kind of worried. <laughs> they already had one daughter that was a bit, you know, out with the fairies. Now her other one was, you know, going down the same path. But Especially I, when I, they probably thought you were up in this beautiful, safe and secure corporate job. Exactly. And the thing is, on some level, it's because my sister wasn't fulfilling their dreams you know at that point um she didn't have any children she still doesn't and my brother didn't even ha wasn't even in a relationship and his job he had lots of problems so I felt the pressure to be the good one that won't create any problem for them but they were in for a surprise <laughs> I'm telling you because <laughs> it was like a time bomb waiting to happen so what happened so, well um I did mosaics after that. I did my first, and I enjoyed it so much. I started doing it when I came back from work. After the kids were in bed, um, I would do that on my balcony. And my my first husband um, was a workaholic, so he was rarely around. So it kept me busy as well, and it was so lovely. And, um, yeah, I haven't – well, I actually – now I don't – I'm not um, – and you say a practicing artist anymore. I've put that aside because um, I don't have the time to do mosaics anymore. Now I have four kids and um, I need time to be able to sit down on my own and it's never possible. So I've, I've parked it temporarily and I'm sure one day I'll pick up mosaics again. But they're kind of big and heavy. <laughs> you know, when you make them then, it's not like a drawing or something that you can file in a neat folder. It's like it invades your whole life. My mosaics are on all the walls in our house and my, my husband, my current husband, <laughs> I don't want to like impose myself any further. Otherwise, there's going to be like the whole, um, I don't know if you know this house in France, the, um, I think it's Picassiet, he's called, the guy who mosaic his whole house, everything. Wow. <laughs> the walls, the kitchen, the ceiling. I mean, he's dead now, but it's become a museum because it just invaded everything. He, he went on this really, really crazy thing. So, but what happened actually is that it opened also something in me that I didn't even know I had, which is, I'd, uh, would I call it intuition or creativity or the connection of the two? And I started having um, some flashes, but I had no one to talk to. And, and in fact, when I looked back, I mentioned before the show in 2000 and I started, uh, well, I moved to England. That was my biggest move away from the family where I gave myself permission to be me. So I started exploring more and more the artistic side. I did exhibitions, but also I started training in um, psychic things and healing. It, the healing was the first one. Um, I went to a clairvoyant because I... I had a brilliant reading before I moved to England that really helped me have the courage to leave my husband, um, take my young children, they were six and two, and just start afresh. And I don't think I would have had the courage to do that without this woman who kind of nudged me and said, go for it. It was such a scary thing to do. But she said, England will love you. You'll be happy there. Just go. 
And that was that little thing I needed to hear. And so when, after a year or two in England, I thought, oh, it'd be nice to have another reading. I kind of feel a bit lost with this art thing and the lawyer and how do I combine both? And I was getting more and more restless in my job because no matter how much I tried it to make it a people's job, <laughs> it was more about the paper. <laughs> so right. I'd move it. I'd moved into a section where I was um, more into knowledge management, which means I organized conferences and I tried to have lawyers share knowledge so they would be more efficient. That was a very hard thing because lawyers don't like to share their knowledge because they feel threatened for most of them. It's very, very rare to find someone. I haven't actually, but... And I felt almost like a fish out of water because for me, uh, collaborating was wonderful. I loved collaborating. I loved sharing what I knew. I loved the interaction and the connection. And um, so I came to a point where I just couldn't continue in that job. And um, in a funny way, they kicked me out. So (laughs) I had a push out. And then I started to embrace my artist and I um, actually started doing tarot readings professionally and healing. I trained in hypnotherapy, all sorts of things. I tried so many different things. I tried art therapy, um, and I enjoyed every single one so much. So, But the thing that happened is I disowned the 15 years I'd spent as a corporate lawyer. It was almost like I was a different person. And I felt fragmented. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I can I can totally I was, understand. I think a lot of people go through that too, Ange, where, you know, we have one life and then we have another life. And it's not, it's like all of those parts are who we are. And at some point, it's nice to integrate them instead of just cutting things off because I feel like they're really important parts. We just have to reassemble them in a way that works for us. Were you able to do that? Well, that's exactly where mosaic helped me um, physically and symbolically because mm. mosaics, you have to break tiles and then put them back together to make something completely new. Ooh, that's beautiful. And exactly. So there's also a symbolic side of it. And my sister helped me to see it as well because one day after I'd done mosaics for a few years, she just came and raved about my art again, how lovely she is. And... Um, she said, you know what, Ange, what I love about your mosaics is not just the images, it's the space between the tiles. You have, an, you have um, a gift on how to, there's a movement, there's something. And then it made me think, yeah, but actually, and then a friend of mine said, you know, your mosaics, it's something much bigger than you think. It's really a metaphor. And I started looking at it in that way. And I thought, yeah, I had some pretty broken pieces in me and doing mosaics enabled me to tie it all together, to put that grout that kind of brought it together. And it's only actually this year um, that I managed to heal the fragmented parts of me where I had 15 years as a corporate lawyer and then I had 10 years as um, a healer, intuitive healer, whatever you call it. And I couldn't just pull them together. And suddenly, it was on a conversation in Facebook that a friend, a friend of mine from my previous life, a corporate lawyer who I really, really loved, um, tried to explain to my old pals what I had become. He was trying to introduce and say, and he called me um, spiritualist. And for me, that's just not me. (laughs) 
And so, but it, he tried his best. I wasn't angry at him at all. And so on the thread, I said, well, actually, I like to think of myself as a spiritual lawyer. And it was the first time it poured out of me. And I thought, hang on a minute. I really like this. So what is a spiritual lawyer? I've been thinking about it ever since. And for me, when I studied law, and it actually, when I was at university, the thing that hurt me the most is that first I thought that human laws weren't actually just. I don't know if that's the word in English to use, but I didn't think they were fair. Hmm. There were some aspects that shocked me, especially when I studied um because in the beginning in, Fran in France, when you study law, you have to study everything. And then you specialize in your third year. So I studied like insurance law. And I had all these little children that had been hit by cars and their parents didn't get any compensation or help because the child had done something that was unexpected. And I thought, this is just, this stinks. And I actually, when I revised all this, I was in tears. It really, really hurt me to read all these cases and the divorce. And I just, I couldn't cope. That's why I ended up being a corporate lawyer, because I was far too sensitive to deal with the other aspects of law, where people's lives are broken and you just try to help them. Mm. And then when I practiced, it was a bit the same. What really annoyed me is how people, not only were the laws not unfair on some level, or maybe not unfair, but almost unethical, and but at the same time, there were so many loops in the system that even for the ones that I thought, yeah, this one stands the ground, people managed to get away with, with things. And I thought, okay, well, that's that's what I have a problem with this. Well, but with spiritual laws, they're universal and they are absolutely fair. And you can't avoid them, not even if you don't know them. And this is the thing that really made me feel good. I thought, okay, I'm going to teach people about spiritual law, the law of love, the law of karma, the law of abundance and prosperity, the law of kindness, the law of compassion. And so, yes, that's I, I like that kind of law. And also um, it makes me feel, and I mean, I don't, I do believe in God, but I'm not religious. It's just I believe in this bigger energy that I call love um, that is behind everything and it's um, the laws the universal laws um, are like the physical laws on earth you know gravity there's no right or wrong you know you can't just complain okay um, I fell down well of course it hurts but you know that if you miss a step then you're going to fall down and it's the same with spiritual laws but there's no punishment in it and it's all the aspects that of course because my my father was catholic and i went to catholic church and there's i was born in sin before i even had a, a word to say i was wrong and i hated that feeling but suddenly i was able to tap into something bigger that was actually the complete opposite of what i was told it was pure love there was no punishment there was no judgment um and it just felt wonderful and I want to share more about that. This is what I, I've come one step further on my path only in the past few days um, as I was writing about my book. because I'm starting to promote um, the latest book that I haven't finished, but it's a solid second draft. Hmm, and, let's talk about that book in a second. But I, I just want to um, just continue yeah. a little bit on your work as a spiritual lawyer, because I really didn't know what that meant. And and thank you so much for explaining it. I mean, you put it in such a simple way that it's about spiritual laws and not human laws and the law of love and karma and abundance. And 
Um, you know, I just love that this whole mosaic uh, metaphor as well, and taking broken pieces and putting it together. And so, um, as a spiritual lawyer, I, I I would imagine you work with people who are feeling a bit broken and don't yes. know the next step forward. And is that sort of the work that you're seeing yourself doing now and in the future? Yes, that I that I I show people that they're actually not broken. Hmm. Maybe fragmented, but nothing's ever broken and everything's always beautiful. Um, and uh, it's only a, t- a question of making sense of it. And when I, I do Akashic record readings, and when I do a reading, I'm shown things that are so different from the perception that even me, when someone tells me a story as a human being, because of course I am a human being, I might have an idea about what's going on. I try not to judge. It's still difficult because I come. I came from a very judgmental um, family. Well, my mother, not my father, so much, but she completely, you know, it was overpowering her judgments. And it took me years to unlearn this judgment thing. Um, but so yes, that's what I do. I see them with the eyes of angels, and what I see is always beautiful. It always. I'm always in. Um, or is that how you pronounce the word in English? I always yes. have a problem with it. Yeah. Um, I look at them and I think, oh my God, they are so amazing. And, um, and, and with regards to their lives, um, I mean, for example, I'll give just a very short example. I did an Akashic reading for a financial advisor, quite a um, high-flying one. And she kept on coming across these really difficult men in business. And her father had been really awful as a child. She had the worst possible father you could imagine. Difficult, um, uh, cutting, um, full of criticism. And when I did, I went into the records, I could see that he had been actually her boot camp to be able to deal with businessmen later on in life. Mm. And I also tapped into a past life with him, but that's another story. I think that that would lose we'd lose the focus a bit if I went into that, and yeah. it, it is her story anyway. But what then she was able to take it into her life and think, oh, actually, there was something positive in my father being such a horrible person because I can deal with anyone, and it became a strength instead of being a wound. Mm, I love that. I love that, and I and think that's a really bigger picture that. We often lose sight of that, um, you know, things that we feel cursed with in a way actually become our gifts. They're there. They've they've been brought into our lives through spirit or the divine or God, whatever you want to call it. And they have a really important part to play in our lives. So thank you for pointing that out in that story, because it's a beautiful example of that. And on on some level, even though it was a bit hard for her to see, she could see why she chose her father before she came on this earth plane. And a lot of people can't make sense of it. You know, they think, why have I chosen such horrible parents? And I can only tell people when they're ready. (laughs) Because there's that before that can happen, you need to have the whole healing process of coming to terms with it, of not of not denying your wounds of um, finding in you, because no one can heal anyone. That's the other aspect of my work. I, I, I cringe to talk myself, to call myself a healer because we can only heal ourselves. I can only show people how they can heal themselves and create a space that's safe where they can be completely them. They can be as pathetic as they want to be. 
pathetic is their judgment. It's not mine. I never see people as pathetic. I see them as grieving. And we take it from there. Mm. We take it from there and say, it's okay. You've been through an absolute trauma and you need to be gentle and stop being so impatient with yourself and just let's just take one hour at a time, one day at a time. What can you do to self-care? What can you do to find the joy where you are? You know, for me, to keep my sanity, I go to my local coffee shop and have a, a lush mocha with lots of chocolate on top. On my own, I journal and that's my anchor that's what makes me keep going on because it's my time my little I call it coffee meditation so I don't have time for more than that (laughs) with four kids it's very hard to have any time to yourself and I'm really grateful to my husband that he allows me to just escape for these you know 20 minutes just to resource myself gather myself gather my thoughts center myself and then I'm ready to go back into into the eye of the storm (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. And I really like that description of your meditation, because I think uh, meditation gets very, a very narrow description sometimes. And so people say, well, I don't have time to meditate. But meditation can be anything like that, where you're just giving yourself even a few moments of me time. And I think that's meditation. So it can be very, very simple, very, very easily done. When, When I was a corporate lawyer, what I did, I had a photo of a beach on the side of my computer and I took a few seconds just to look at it and immerse myself in it and then I'd get back to work. So it was like a few seconds in my hectic day. So yeah, it is very important. I agree with you, Isha, because I used to teach meditation. I don't do any of these physical things anymore because um, um, I've moved to another level and I don't mean that in a horrible way at all, but because I've decided to homeschool my children now from last year, this is my first year into it. I don't do classes anymore. I actually probably more and more, I won't do so many uh, one-to-one. I'm more on a course, um, on a journey to teach people, to touch people, not teach, (laughs) touch people. This is so important. The difference uh, with my stories through my writing. Oh, let's get into that because I know that your father had recently died in 2014 and you're writing right now, you're writing a, a memoir that's very important to you. So let's talk about that a little bit if you would. Okay, and thank you for asking me. This is an honor for me because um, this journey has been um, truly magical. Um the whole journey of walking alongside my father in the last weeks of his life and what happened after. I feel truly blessed that I had this experience and almost it's it's strange because before, before this experience with my father, I suppose my whole look on life about the invisible world, the magic, the healing, everything, um, I felt it was wonderful, but there was a part of me who said, well, what about if it hits you in the face? Are you still going to be there to say the same thing? It's easy to tell your clients to find the magic in everything because I feel this is what I do. Um, but how about you? <laughs> and I had this wonderful opportunity with my father having a brain tumor to look at things and try and bring magic into every single moment I had left with him. And this is how I approached the whole ordeal. Um so yeah it's very moving that is like I'm very moved by that I think um yeah it's moments like those in our lives that 
really what we wake up to the preciousness of each moment. Exactly. I think, um, and I, well, I hope my book will um, bring many blessings to the people who read them because I'm not one of these person who's going to write a book that's going to make you feel miserable. And I'm not going to lie to say everything is pink and rosy and there, there were lots of tears, but the magic in it was just amazing. Um, I don't want to, you know, give away too many stories, but um, maybe just give us a little, just a little something that was magic in that in those last years with your dad. Just a short little, you know. It wasn't even years; it was weeks because I lived thousands of miles from him. Mm. So when I learned, it's uh, let's I try and um, explain. It's a bit difficult. My father had a non-cancerous um, tumor. So it's people don't really understand, but I don't need to go too much into the details. It's not that in, it's not that important because mm. we're looking at the bigger picture. But it's something that slowly progressed, but it affects everything until in the end, this thing overcomes your heart and it couldn't be operated. So basically, it took a long time to take off, but I knew the moment he was diagnosed that it was his exit strategy. And that he would go back to the creator that he loved so much. That was the way he was gonna leave this earth plane, but nobody believed me. They all wanted to be so positive and bless them, I understood. And so I was feeling very lonely because I knew the journey had started, but I was the only one to see it. I was the only one to see the bigger picture. So it took a couple of years, and it's funny because at the time he was diagnosed, I also managed to be training as a Reiki master. So all these things were very interesting. And I also, for my own benefit, I trained with them. Um, a center that's actually not far from where I live, I can drive there and I'm so fortunate, called the Penny Braun Cancer Care, which is a completely holistic approach to living with cancer. And in this center, you have a team of a doctor, a therapist and a healer working hand in hand. And for me, that's absolutely the best you could ever think because we are mind, body and spirit. So at that time, they offered training for um, for therapists. So I, I went there as a clinical hypnotherapist and I learned all about the mind, body connection. And But it helped me as well because they did that. They help not only the person who lives with cancer, but the person or their um closest ones so I thought this is going to be great for me to be there for my father exactly as he wants he needs me to be not with my own agenda and this training really helped me to step back put aside everything I believed and just walk on my father's terms because it was his body his illness his journey and it was incredibly frustrating at times because I knew I could help him make it easier and he didn't <laughs> It was one of the biggest lessons ever because I had just to step and honor his path, even though I had a magic wand and I, I couldn't use it. I just couldn't use it. Well, I thought I couldn't. I did in some ways. So anyway, five years down the line and um, my, my father's, um, do you say discharged from hospital? You know, he's got the old clear. Go off with your wife and have a lovely summer. Everybody was celebrating, and I knew this was actually the start of the last leg of the journey. And I had to zip it again. Because, of course, you're not going to spoil your parents' joy that finally your father doesn't have to go through chemotherapy. So I said, oh, this is wonderful news, and I hope you have a wonderful summer with Dad, Mom, and just we, you know. 
I cheered them. And then um, in September, when he went for his check, the tumor had grown twice the size it was before. It was super aggressive, and that was it. It was like we, I knew. Of course, at that point, they didn't tell my, my dad and my mum that it was that bad, but they put him on the course of chemo that my aunt had been put in the last few months of her life. So for me, there was there was no denying it anymore. It was the last leg. And I felt almost relieved because I had almost been waiting for this for so long. I thought, well, now it's going to be real. Um, I don't want to sound awful. <laughs> I sound so, it's, it's, um, it's a different way of looking at things. And people might think I'm insensitive, but I'm not. Um, I hope I don't come across as insensitive. So anyway, um, I think ahead. I think what, you know, I think it's hard when people around you have great difficulty in the reality of situations. And I think what you're conveying is your deep compassion, because to me, what compassion really means is the ability or the capacity to be with someone or to be with a situation without um, any agenda. And this is what you've been explaining through your talk and I think it requires a great sensitivity to have that compassion so for me listening to you no I don't find that anything you've said so far is insensitive and I just wanted to share that with you because it's a beautiful story and the book that you're writing um the memoirs what prompted you to write um well um I started a journal the moment, um, so this is September when we go back to this story, and I went to visit him once in November on my own, and um, I didn't even know if I would see him ever again, so that was quite hard. So Christmas was coming, you know, I have young children, I got immersed in it, my sister came from America to visit my dad, they had a wonderful Christmas all together with my brother and all relatives, and they had parties all through the season, and then in January, my father was scheduled to see a consultant to tell him, you know, how things were going, and then he was given only a month to live. Mid-January, mid that's what happened. And at that point, I don't know what made me do it. I decided to keep a journal. It was actually, I kept um, a blog about death uh, because I'm so frustrated that nobody wants to talk about death. As a child, I always wanted to talk about it. I wasn't allowed to go to funerals. I had a fascination for death. I kind of felt that there was something more to it. That, no, we didn't just die and disappear. Um, and it wasn't the Catholic version that there was a purgatory and that my my soul was going to be uh, judged and I would either go to heaven or hell. And But no one ever wanted to have that conversation with me. So it got very, very frustrating. Um, so I decided to start a blog and just go full into it, talk about death. Um, I think... I can't remember what I called this blog. Um, I think I called it something like, we are all going to die uh, one day. <laughs> it was almost like, get over it. <laughs> Just face it. Face it. We're all going to die one day. So what are you going to do about it? Are you still going to put your head in the sand? Um, I, it was a bit of my angry moment with the frustration of how our society, because when you don't want to talk about death, that also means that you dump on people who are in the process of dying or who are facing um, life-threatening illnesses, you dump your stuff on them. You're yeah. not responsible. 
you have all these un, unresolved feelings about it. And so you act out. I saw that so many times with my dad or me. People avoid talking to you. They go to the other side of the road because they can't cope with the idea that you're going through something like that. And because it's, it just reminds them of their own mortality and they can't cope with it. And that's why for me, it's so important to talk about death because we need to be there for our people, the people who die and everybody's going to die. And I hate the fact, I'm sorry, this is not a word I use very often, but I have this passion about being there for the people who need us. And death can be a beautiful process, which my, luckily my father and I were able to experience. I'm not saying there weren't some difficult moments, but it was a beautiful process. And I think fear, I'm, I'm, I've come to the conclusion that for me, death is a bit like birth and the fear comes in the way. And if you just let go and embrace the process, then things become so much more magical, so much easier. Mm. So that's where the book comes from. It took a little while to, 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 to write because first I did the blog and then suddenly after six months, I thought, no, there's something else in it. I'm supposed to tell my story. So I wrote it for the next year and then I just parked it and I got on with something else because I, I always have a few books on the go. And it's just in June, I took this writing course and I was going to write on the book that I had on the table at the moment. And suddenly... She asked us to connect with the book energetically, so I did. And my my dad came through. I can't say it was that clear, but it was like, no, this is the book you need to, to work on now, the book about you and your dad. The time is now. And it was like I didn't even think making that decision. It just happened. And then I just immersed myself in it again. And I picked up my draft from um, 18 months before or whenever it was that I wrote it. And I started revising it and working on it. And, and this is what I've been doing all summer. And it's brought some tears, but it's also um, brought some of the magic again. I was able to see more through it because I had a bit of time, um, you know, reflecting back um, and so, yeah, I finished um, this, what I, we call a second solid draft um, in August. And suddenly the time felt right to just go with it and just launch. Um, I decided to do a crowdfunding campaign because I don't have the money to produce the book to the standard that I would like to. Because, of course, all this summer I've done only writing because I can't do both. <laughs> I can't work and write. I had to go into this sort of sabbatical. And now I'm left at a point where either I work or I progress the book. And crowdfunding is a beautiful way to do both. It is a beautiful way. And I think you um, have some really creative ideas about doing the launch in your book, having a, a sort of crowdfunding party, as you mentioned to me before we went on the air. Would you like to just share a little bit about that? Yeah, so the idea is I've made a, I've created a group uh, on Facebook uh, that I called My Father's Launch Party, <laughs> which might seem a bit strange when you look at the title, not knowing exactly what's going on. Um, but the, my, the title of my book is My Father Who Art in Heaven. And the title came to me really, really quickly because he is in heaven and he is my father. Uh, but it's also bigger than that because my vision of God is completely different. It might not be a father or a mother. It's just an energy. Um, and I think the book also talks a lot about what heaven is really like because um, I've come to the realization this summer I'm here to bring 
heaven on earth. That, that sounds like a really, really big, um, <laughs> a, a big thing to do. But this is, this is my, my calling. This is what I do. I bring heaven on earth. I know heaven can be on earth. I know we can live our own little version of heaven every day on this planet. And so, yeah, the book is one aspect of doing that. And it's, it kind of deconstructs a lot of myths that not only the church, various churches have built around what heaven is and what God is, but also, um, how can I say, even people who are outside of religion, even mediums, I find they, they sometimes carry ideas that don't sit with me, that just don't make sense. Mm. So I'm t- telling my story as well of, of what my heaven looks like and what I'd like people to look at. And then with everything I say, you know, when I used to teach Reiki and all um, spiritual things, because I, I have done many courses, I used to say to people, take what works for you and leave the rest. So I want people to do the same with my book. They might only, they might not click with it. And I completely understand because my approach is so radically different for most people. It's almost shocking. I mean, I think some people even felt that I didn't love my dad because I didn't cry enough when he died. And there's nothing that could be further from the truth. I adored my dad. Um, But when he died, the moment he died, I saw him born into the light. It was a birth. It wasn't a death. I saw him, his soul rise back to the creator. And it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Mm, I think, um, you know, the work that you're doing and and through writing this book and um, is really, really important in our times. Like you say, there's, there's a lot of fear and denial about our mortality and how can we live really fully if we don't embrace that we're mortal beings and that, you know, that we will die, but that doesn't mean it's the end, that there is, you know, something else, that we are spirit and to really enjoy our time, our temporary time within the physical body. And I think you touched on it really beautifully before when you said that, you know, death can be a beautiful process, but there's a lot of fear around it. And I, and I see you as a light in the world bringing through the, the, you know, the possibility and the choice that we all have to either align with that fear or to align with love, which is what you're talking about, like, you know, saying what heaven is really like. So thank you so much for bringing that through. I, I think that's a brilliant thing. And um, I will put some links on the show notes if anyone wants to join in the party, because it sounds like it's going to be wonderful to um, to celebrate, to celebrate your father's launch party and, and the book that you're writing. And I, of course, I want to celebrate my dad because I loved him so much. Mm. And but it's and everybody, well, and I know some people have problems with their dads. Um, but at the end of the day, it can be anything. Of course, it can be your pet, it can be your mother, it can be a friend, it can be your child. It's just um, I wish I could just plant that little seed that maybe things are not what they seem. And sometimes that seed cannot be planted when you're in the in the depth of grief. Mm. But if society changed from the um, much up down uh, up the road, sorry, I'm, I'm, my words are kind of getting jumbled, then maybe people saw things completely differently. Um, for example, I read a book about a lady whose son died, and she re- she <coughs> sorry she trained as a healer to help him through his journey. And in her book, she said that she felt that her son had become her guide or her angel, mm. and they were now doing the work together. 
of helping others. And she managed to find the gold in the situation. And some people might say she's delusional and she's just doing that to, to bypass grief, but I don't believe that. So seeing the bigger picture sometimes helps. Actually, it always helps. It's just you're not always ready to hear it because the, um, you have to have an open mind and an open heart. Mm. Does that make sense? Makes so much sense. And um, so we're just about out of time, Ange, and I want you to, I want to give you the opportunity now. If you, if you could just hold the hands of some of our listeners, some of the women, maybe men also listening, what is one little thing they can start to do today that would help them reconnect to that other side and to really embrace um, even if they're in the depths of grief, to really embrace who they are? Okay, for, well, if I had one thing to say, I would say we are never alone. And yet this is something that I felt many, many times. I felt like such a loner because I never fit. You know, this is why I'm on your podcast. I'm <laughs> yes. a misfit. Yeah. I'm a misfit. And it's been it's been grueling years where nobody understood me. Um but I was never alone. It's just because I couldn't see that I had heaven around me on earth that I felt alone. I couldn't feel my angels. I was in a depth of despair, but they were always there for me. It's just that angels cannot intervene. You have to ask for their help. And it always comes. Not always in the way that you think it will, but it always comes. We all have an angel. However bad you think you are, <laughs> If you've done things that you're ashamed of, you still have God's love. You still have your angels. So just remember that we all have a guardian angels and they adore us. They adore us no matter what we do. That's the one thing I would tell them. Thank you. That you are is beautiful. Worthy. Yes. You are worthy. Whatever you think you are worthy in the eyes of God, you are worthy in the eyes of the angels. They love you. They want to help you. They want to be there for you. And more than anything, they want you to love yourself no matter what. That's, that's beautiful. That's, that, that's beautiful, Ange. I love that. It is forgiveness. And I love what you said about they can they, they, the support that's around us cannot intervene unless we ask for help. And I think that's a really important tip. And I hope our listeners can take that to heart so that, you know, they know that this support, even if they're feeling very alone in whatever it is in their life, that they can reach out and ask for help and it will be there. And it, yeah, might, come, it might come in a form that you weren't even expecting. That's true. And I've had, I have so many stories to tell about that, but we're, we're over the time now. Yeah. And I'm, I'm <laughs> going to write a lot more books with all these stories because I have bags full of stories of miracles, of help coming in the most unusual way. Um, I have actually a little story on my blog that people might like, which is called my father who art in heaven dot uh, wordpress.com. So I've started this blog only a few days ago um, and it's easy to access for everyone. Um, I have a little story there and I will be posting more stories because uh, I want to inspire people. I want them to have hope. Beautiful, Ange. That is just beautiful to what you're doing, how you're inspiring people. And I'm going to put that link to your blog up in the show notes as well so that everyone who is listening, they can go to the show notes and look it up and have a read and be inspired and have hope. 
Thank so you. So my beautiful Ange, thank you so much. You're a light in the world, another amazing, brilliant misfit. And I'm so grateful that you agreed. Here you are across the world, early, early hours of the morning talking with me. And I deeply appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure, Aisha. Thank you for having me. Big thank you to Ange Delamere, who's on the other side of the world. I'm in Australia, and she is currently in England, United Kingdom. And I loved what she talked about, and especially the the mosaic metaphor that she brought up about how, you know, having all these fragments, these pieces of tiles, and being able to put it together in her way, in her unique way, and and having that beauty and color and movement and space. And it's really a metaphor for her life, not only her life, but I think for a lot of us, when we feel fragmented, uh, what do we do with that? Well, she, you know, by doing a mosaic, we can think that our lives are a mosaic, actually, and all these fragments, maybe we did one thing in our life, and we're no longer interested in doing that. Well, do we just discard it? Or can we somehow use all that experience that we got from that time in our life and put together a beautiful mosaic. So there was lots of interesting things in the show today. And I love her passion about using intuition and about bringing to the table and to really face um, death and mortality and not have it be such a taboo subject, but to really look at it as a beautiful process, just like birth is a beautiful process, death is a beautiful process. And so thank you so much, Ange, for bringing that to the foreground and to write that book, which I can't wait until it's released and and to have a look. And don't forget, everyone, if you want to be part of the launch party, I'm sure that's going to be a lot of fun. And the link is on the show notes. And until next time, be true to you and be brilliant. Thank you all for being here today. If you enjoyed the episode, please go to iTunes and give it a review and subscribe. And don't forget to join our private Facebook group, Brilliant Misfits. And for more information on living a creative life, www.asiakennedy.com.